you would like to turn, our scripture reading will be Revelation chapter 5. I'll be reading verses 1 through 6. Revelation chapter 5, beginning verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lamb of the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth unto all the earth. Thank you very much for uh, reading that text tonight, and uh, thank you, Alex, for leading those songs. Uh, it's good to get to see Alex and his family this weekend, and it's good to see all of you. Uh, I'm very anxious to get into our study of Revelation chapter 5, and I hope you have a Bible and that you'll follow along with us in this study. We'll look at a couple of other passages prior to getting there. But before we get into it, uh, I hope you'll... Um, Give me some uh, latitude and allow me to express my deep appreciation to you for uh, being with you this weekend. This has been a pure joy for me uh, for many reasons. It's been a pleasure to meet some people that I have not known in the past. And you all have been so kind and uh, so encouraging. And it's been great to be with this church and to see the good that you are doing in this community and around the world. I've been very impressed by your young families, the young children by your teenagers, and by everybody. It's been such a joy to be here. And a special uh, blessing to get to see um, my old college buddies. Um, uh, it's, it's great to be able to spend a little bit of time with Mike and Cherie. I've, I've said this before this week. I don't know anybody who does more good for preachers, encourages them more than Mike Vessel. And you're a part of that, and so thank you for allowing that to happen. And thank you for allowing him to help teach the next generation of preachers that we desperately need uh, people like Mike doing that. And so thank you for allowing him to do that as well and supporting him in that uh, work. So it's just been a, a great blessing for me to get to be with you. And I don't know when we'll see each other again, but uh, my prayer is that we'll cross paths at some other time. The last um, three lessons of this gospel meeting, we're looking at the book of Revelation we said this morning that uh, in Revelation chapter 1, two times, uh, Jesus tells John to write what he sees and put it in a book. The first time is verse 11. He said, write the things that you see and send it uh, to the seven churches of Asia. And then Jesus names the seven churches of Asia. The second time is chapter 1, verse 19, where Jesus said, write the things that have been and the things that are and the things that will be. And so 
He's already seen some things. There are some things that he is seeing now and some things that he will see uh, in the future. And he's told to write these. Sometimes, uh, studying the book of Revelation, people say, what is the key uh, to the book? What is the key verse? And uh, we like to find key verses to books of the Bible. It's very difficult to find one key verse. But I would say there are some significant verses in the book of Revelation. And I'll just mention a couple before we get into chapter 5. The first one is chapter 3. Uh, where Jesus is talking to the church at Laodicea, and he says in verse 21, He who, he who overcomes, uh, I will grant to him to come sit with me on my throne, just as I have sat on my Father's throne. So Jesus said, if you overcome, uh, I'm going to grant you to come and live with me. That's the goal of every child of God, to be able to live this life in faith, uh, serving God with all of our heart, glorifying God with all of our lives, and doing everything that we can to be pleasing to Him so that someday we can go to heaven. And we believe that our loved ones, many of us believe our loved ones are in heaven now, who have gone on before us, and we pray and we live and we uh, serve and we work so that we can be there someday as well. And the way Jesus describes it in His own words are you have to overcome. You have to overcome sin and Satan. You have to overcome uh, the defeats and the uh, drawbacks of life. You have to overcome temptations and trials. And if we overcome all of these, Jesus said, then you can come over and live with me. So I love the thought there. If you overcome, you can come over and live with me. So we want to continue to to overcome. The other passage I want to make reference to is in Revelation chapter 11. If you'll turn there quickly, it's really in the middle of the book. And um, Brother W.B. West, I took a class he taught in Revelation uh, years and years ago. And he said, that the key verse is Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. And he said it is the, the, really the center passage in all the book. And in this verse, um, the text says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Now I want you to notice a couple of things about this passage. The kingdom of our Lord, that is the church, of course. We understand that's what Jesus was talking about. In Matthew 16, verses 18 and following, we mentioned this morning, Revelation 1, verse 9, where uh, John tells us that he is, our, he is a, our brother and fellow partaker in the Basileia, the kingdom. That's the word uh, here. And he says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign uh, forever and ever. Uh, there's an allusion here to another Old Testament passage, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. For Daniel says that in the days of those kings, and I think he's talking about the, the Roman rulers, and that would be these days, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Listen to these words. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom. In Ephesians chapter 3, we looked at this week, the text says that uh, all of this was in the mind of God uh, before the foundation of the world, that this was in the eternal plan and purpose of God. And so Daniel said years and years before the book of Revelation was written and before the church was established that in those days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. And it says, he goes on to say, and it will crush all of the other kingdoms. And this kingdom, uh, there will be no end to this kingdom. So Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will never prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
So when Daniel makes the statement, this is in the future. When Jesus makes the statement in Matthew 16, it is still in the future. The kingdom has not yet been set up by the God of heaven, but it is near. It's going to happen soon. And when John writes the book of Revelation, he looks at it in the past. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. So it has happened now. And of his Christ, then he will reign forever and ever. What a beautiful thought that we are a part of a kingdom to which there is no end, Daniel 2.44. We are part of a kingdom that cannot be destroyed. That even Satan and all of the demons of hell themselves cannot destroy the kingdom of our Lord, the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, Sometimes we get all concerned and and bothered about the fact that uh, the church isn't doing as well as we might think that we would like for it to to do. And there are some uh, preachers who um, and and leaders in the church who make kind of outlandish statements and they say, "If uh, if we don't do this or if we don't do that or if we don't change this or if we don't change that or if we don't catch up with the times, the church will go out, out of existence. Well, I believe I'm going to take the word of Jesus Christ over their word. And he said, the church will never be destroyed. And it's my personal conviction that from the day the church was started on the day of Pentecost until this day that the church has always been in existence. There's some who believe that there, were a, there was a dark age when the church went out of existence and, and some have tried to suggest that uh, for hundreds of years and maybe... Um, well, for hundreds of years, that the church did not exist and that um, Alexander Campbell and Thomas Campbell and Barton W. Stone and some of those men established the church in America. Well, uh, historically, we can prove that there were churches of Christ that were meeting in America before Alexander Campbell ever set foot on, this, on these shores. And we believe that the church has always been in existence because Jesus said that it would always be. Uh, added to that, if you look at, at Revelation chapter 11, he goes on to say in verse 16, the 24 elders. I love the way that John ties the book together. And it's my conviction here that, that when he starts uh, in chapter 4, he's giving us a scene that takes place in heaven. And it's really the rest of uh, the book. And he ties it together here in 11 verse uh, 16 when he says the 24 elders. Well, who would that be? Uh, who sit on the thrones before God. Remember Revelation 4, verse 4? There were 24 thrones that were surrounding uh, the big throne of God, and there were elders who were sitting on these thrones. And the 24 elders who sit on these thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. Remember back in chapter 4, verse 10, that when they stood to uh, come before the throne of God, they took those crowns off their heads and they threw them before the Lord and gave praise and worship to Him. And he goes on to say that as they sit on the thrones before God, they fall on their faces and worship God, saying, verse 17, We give you thanks, O Lord God the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. He is now reigning, they're telling us. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture, and it is a reminder that all of the book of Revelation is tied together. Now, turn, if you will, to chapter 5. In the beginning of chapter 5, the first words in chapter 5, verse 1, John says, I saw. 
Uh, it might not be significant, or we might not think it would be significant, that John would begin this particular chapter by saying, I saw. But he's, remember, he was told by Christ both times, write what you see. And so John is just telling us that this is something that he sees. And he wants those seven churches of Asia to know what's going on. And I believe he wants us to know what is going on as well. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Well, who is that? Well, that is God himself, the creator of the universe, the maker of man, the one who, according to Acts chapter 17, gives life and breath to all things, the one who sustains us, the one to whom we pray uh, every day in our life, hopefully a number of times each day. It is God who is sitting on the throne. And God is holding, while he's sitting on the throne, a book. Uh, Some Bibles will say uh, a scroll, uh, but he is holding uh, a book or a scroll in his right hand, and it's uh, written on this scroll, and it has uh, sealed up with seven seals. In verse 2, John says, I saw. There he goes again. I saw. He wants us to know that he's writing what he sees. I saw, he said, a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. It's interesting that when you read the Bible and you read about angels, they're always a powerful beings. Uh, the Bible refers to angels as mighty angels, uh, strong angels, uh, powerful beings. They, uh, one angel killed 186,000 people at one time. You know, when we think of angels in our culture and in our day, uh, oftentimes people think of those cute little uh, ceramic cherubic looking things you put on your fireplace. That's not the biblical picture of an angel. In the angel, in the Bible, angels are powerful beings. As a matter of fact, just about, if not every time, uh, just about every time that a human being encounters an angel in Scripture, they either pass out or they die. These are powerful beings we're talking about. And John said, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? Now, um, who, who can open this book? Certainly this angel, if one angel could kill 186,000 men at one time, one angel could open this book. So it's not, about, it's not about physically opening the book. It's about understanding the book. Whatever this book is about, it's about understanding the book, and it is about being able to explain the book to us. And John says, who is able to do that? And verse 3 says, no one in heaven... Or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or look into it. Again, it's not about the physical strength to literally open the physical book, but it's about being able to, to unleash the meaning of the book, to be able to explain the book, to be able to understand the book. And he says, we scoured heaven and earth, and we couldn't find anybody uh, to open the book. And then verse 4, John says, then I began to weep greatly. The, the phrase here, uh, weep greatly, the language suggests that it's like uncontrollable sobbing. He could not quit crying. Have you ever seen anybody who they start crying and they can't quit? Have you ever, have you ever done that yourself where you um, lose control of your emotions and because of some event or something that has happened in your life, you start crying and you can't quit? John uh, desperately wants to know what is in the book. Now, he may be just like us. We're kind of curious about things. If, if I saw you holding a book in your hand tonight, uh, I'd want to know what that book is. I, I travel a lot and I fly on airplanes a lot. And I'll be sitting sometimes. I always like to sit in an aisle seat if I can. And I'll see somebody a, a seat or two up in front of me. 
and I'll see them reading a book. And I try to squint to see what they're reading. I want to know what they're reading. If it's something that I might be interested in. Sometimes I ask them, but not always. Sometimes I try to figure it out on my own. Because we're kind of curious about those kind of things. And John wants to know what this book is about. And we couldn't find anybody to open it. So he says, I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or look into it. That's kind of odd to me in a way. Uh, what do you mean nobody was worthy? Nobody, ha- nobody could uh, explain what the book was all about. Nobody could uh, give the meaning of the book. Uh, nobody uh, was worthy to, to help us understand what this book was. And then I love verse 5. One of the elders, one of what elders? Remember chapter 4, verse 4? 24 elders sitting on the throne. One of the elders uh, said to me, stop weeping. So the, the clear indication here is that, that one of those elders sees John weeping uncontrollably. And uh, if you've been in a situation where you've done that in your life and, and you go over and somebody comes over and they put their arm around your shoulder and they say, we're praying for you. We want to help you. Uh, do you. Would you like to talk about this? And John is weeping uncontrollably and one of those elders looks at him and he gets up off his throne and he goes over to him and he says, John, stop weeping. Stop weeping. Now, I don't know, I can't prove who those elders are, but just imagine that it's an elder in the kingdom of God. And to me, this is the image of what elders ought to be about. That when somebody's suffering in the church, when somebody's hurting, when somebody has gone through some difficult time in their life, when something's happened in their life that they can't make sense out of it and it doesn't seem to have meaning to it, that an elder will come over and they'll put their arm around them and they'll say to them, please uh, stop weeping. Everything's going to be okay. We don't know how always. We don't know. We don't understand all about it, but everything's going to be okay because God is going to take care of you. That's the kind of elders we need in the kingdom of God. And this elder says, John, stop weeping. You know why he tells him to stop weeping? Because we found somebody. We found somebody who can, who can explain the book, who can explain the meaning of the book. Well, who have they found? Look at verse 5. Behold. Uh, by the way, that word behold means look. John's going to look and he's going to write down what he sees. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. That's the one that can explain the meaning. Who is the lion of the tribe of of Judah, the root of David? Well, you know who that is. That's Jesus Christ himself. And look at what John says about him. He has overcome so as to open the book in its seven seals. Jesus Christ has overcome so he can give meaning and explanation and understanding to whatever this book is about. He can do that. And remember back in chapter 3, we noticed verse 21 that Jesus said, He who overcomes, I will grant him to come and sit beside me on my throne as I overcame and sat beside my father's throne. So now this elder tells John, John, everything's going to be okay. We can have the understanding, the explanation, the meaning of the book because Jesus is here and Jesus has overcome. And because he has overcome, he is able to open the book, to explain the book, to unleash the meaning of the book. Now, I still don't know what was in that book. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. There's some who have tried to tell us that that book was the, like the Lamb's Book of Life. It has the name of all of the, the people who have given their life to Jesus Christ and been buried with Christ in baptism. 
The problem is the Bible doesn't tell us. Others say it's the book of the deeds of all human beings. You know, the Bible says that we'll give an account of all the deeds in our life, whether good or bad. So some have suggested it's that book. Uh, Another writer suggested, one I read said that uh, it is a recording of all of the major events in the history of the world. Just think about that for a minute. All of the major events. Well, uh, you ever heard anybody talk about history and say that Jesus is the meaning of history because it is his story? Whatever the book is about, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. And, and we, we can, when we read verse 5, we can understand that. It makes sense to us. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. And because he has overcome, he can explain the book. He can help us understand what it's all about. We know the lion represents the power of God, the strength of God, that our God is mighty. Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All things work together for good for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. Our God is powerful. He is mighty. I mentioned this morning, we taught our children to sing that song. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing our God cannot do. God is powerful. He has all power. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. With God, all things are possible. With God, there's nothing that is impossible. Jesus would say to his disciples and to all of us in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Our God is a powerful God. And this elder tells John, John, you can stop weeping because we have found the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, Jesus Christ, who has overcome, who represents the strength and the might and the power of God. And he can explain the meaning of the book. But notice, it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 6. John said, I saw, again, he, he reminds us, he's writing down what he sees just as Jesus told him to do. I saw between the, the throne where the four living creatures were. Remember back in chapter 4, uh, verse 6 and following the, the living creatures. And the elders, chapter 4, verse 4, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. Now, wait a minute. The line of the tribe of the root of David? Understand that. But a lamb? What, what is the lamb all about? Why does John tell us that he saw a lamb? He's giving us a, an image of Christ. The lion is an image of Christ. But the lamb is also an image of Christ. Why does he tell us a, about a lamb? What can a lamb do? Isaiah 53 said that he would be led like a lamb before his shearers. He would be dumb and he would not open his mouth. Remember what the disciples said when they saw Jesus coming? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ, the crucified Lamb, the slain Lamb for us, for for all of our sins. The lion represents power and strength and might. The lion says that God can do anything. But the lamb? The lamb represents gentleness and meekness 
Jesus said, blessed are the meek. The lamb represents uh, a willingness that God has to give his only begotten son for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The lamb says that there's not anything that God will not do for us. The lamb says that God will. And if you read, I'll come back to that in a moment, but if you read verse 7, it says he, the lamb, not the lion, but he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. They fell before the lamb. Each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. They're singing praise to Christ Jesus the Lamb. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. The Lamb. We read this morning from Revelation chapter 15. The text says the song of Moses and the Lamb. The song of Moses and the Lamb. You know, they sang the song of Moses after they crossed over the Red Sea. They sang the song of Moses. But now, the picture is that they've added a second verse. The song of the Lamb. The song of Moses was a great song, but it pales in comparison to the song of the Lamb. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb who was slain for my sins and for yours on the cross. The Lamb who purchased us with His own blood. The Lamb who created the church with His blood. The lion says that God can do anything. The line says that God is all-powerful, that He's mighty, that He's strong, and that there's nothing that He cannot do. The Lamb reminds us that God will do anything. That there's nothing that He will not do for us. Now, this is unlike just about anybody else who's ever lived on the face of the earth. Like you, probably, I've known some people who are, who are powerful people. They have resources and they have strength and they have might and they, they can do a lot of things. They have the ability to do that. But sometimes, not always, sometimes they don't do some of the things that they can do. They have the ability, but they, they don't. Then there are other people who will do anything that they can. My mother used to say about a fellow, that guy over there, he would give you the shirt off his back if he just had another shirt. He'd do anything for you. But he doesn't have the ability. He doesn't have the resources. He doesn't have the power. The lion says that God can do anything. The lamb says that God will do anything. The lion says God can. The lamb says God will. And you put them together. And that, my friends, is the gospel. The gospel which is the power of God to salvation. To all who believe to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And it's our privilege to proclaim the gospel of the lion and the lamb, that God can and God will, that God has the power to save us. He was 
that he has the strength and the ability to save us because he is our creator, because he gives life and breath to all things. He has the power to do that, but he doesn't just have the power. He is willing to do that. He desperately wants us to be saved. Peter said, the Lord is not slow concerning his promises as men count slowness, but he's long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish. He is not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want anybody to be lost. He is the saving God, the God according to Micah who abundantly pardons, the, the pardoning God. He wants everybody to be saved. He's willing, and he's not just willing, but he's able. Our God can and our God will. And that's the gospel message. And Paul would say, not only I'm not ashamed to preach that gospel, Romans 1.16. He would say in Romans 1.15, I'm ready to preach that gospel. It's a beautiful statement in Romans 1.15. Seven words, uh, I'm ready to preach the gospel, Paul said. Those seven words are comprised from two Greek words. Very interesting words. The longer word is uh, ready to preach. Uh, the, or, or to preach the gospel. It's the word, uh, it's a long word, euangelizestai. has the word euangelion, the gospel in it. Uh, the word angel in there is angel, messenger. Paul says, I'm ready to be God's messenger, but I love the phrase, I'm ready. Uh, some Bibles say, uh, I'm eager. Uh, if they get a little bit bolder, they say, I'm eager. Not I'm ready, but I'm eager. That phrase, I'm ready or I'm eager, Three words in our English language come from one Greek word. The word is the, the word prothumon. The root word for prothumon is thumos. It's the word that we get our English words like thermometer and thermostat and thermal. And it means hot. And it means uh, on fire. And Paul doesn't just say, I'm ready. He doesn't even just say, I'm eager. He says, I'm on fire to be God's messenger. This go- glorious gospel that will save why? Because God can and God will. And the question is not, is God willing and able? But the question is, are we willing and able? Are we willing to give our lives completely to Him? Are we willing to turn everything over to Him? Are we willing to let Him have charge of all that we are and all that we do in this life? Are we willing to say, God, I can't do this on my own. I know I can and, and I I've tried, tried it myself, and, and I can't do it. And I know that you can because you have the power. And not only do you have the power, but you're willing to do this. And so tonight, we're going to sing the song that Alex has selected. And if you've never become a child of God, you need to know, first of all, that God has the power to save you. You don't have the power to save yourself. We cannot save ourselves, but God has the power. And he doesn't just have the power, but he has the willingness. He desperately wants to save us. And if you've never obeyed Jesus Christ, we would encourage you tonight. If you believe that he's the son of God, if you'll confess his name before men, if you'll give him your life in repentance and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, he will save you because he has the power and he's willing to do that. And if you're a Christian tonight and, and you haven't been living every day for him, maybe you've been trying to get through life on your own and you've finally come to the conclusion, I can't do this on my own. Listen, our God can and our God will. He'll do whatever you need him to do. He's willing to. And he has the power, the ability, the strength, the might to do that.
So we want to serve that kind of God. We want to worship that kind of God. And we want to bow before that kind of God. No wonder they bowed before Him and they cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. So tonight, if you need to come to the God who can and the God who will, we invite you to do that even now as we stand together and as